great. Please do keep Bibles open so we can keep looking down to it. As uh, Hal's just said, last week we were looking at the focusing on the younger son. Uh, today we're going to be focusing mainly on the second half of the story uh, with the older son. Uh, I think it's right to really call this parable the parable of the two lost sons, uh, as we're going to see in a minute. But let me pray first, uh, and then we're going to start. Father, today help us to see Jesus. Help us to understand what you have to say to us today. Speak to us now, we pray. We thank you for your word, that it is true and it is helpful and useful. Uh, speak to us now, we pray. In your precious name. Amen. Today is the worst day in my life, but it's the greatest day in my father's. I cannot remember a time when I've been so angry. Never has a son hated his brother like I've hated mine, and never has a father loved his sons the way my father has loved us tonight. It all started a few years ago. I was the good son. He, the good-for-nothing son. The only four-letter word not in his vocabulary was work. What a lazy, entitled little swine of a brother. But my father, he's long-suffering to a fault, outrageously patient. And so I just waited. I waited for my brother to finally go too far. And I trusted, I trusted that my good work, my labour, my slaving, it would pay out in the end. Hard work always does, doesn't it? It was no surprise when he broke my father's heart. He turned up demanded his inheritance. He basically said he wished my father would hurry up and die. And then he left, liquidated his share and left. My father literally had to break up his property for that idiot and his son did not care. And now he's back. I wish I was the one who saw him on the horizon, saw him in the fields when he came back. But of course, what was I doing? I was out working. I would have told him to get lost. I would have sent him back to the pigs I hear he stank of. I would have given him a good kicking. I would have sent him on his way. How dare he come back? But now there's a party. You might be able to hear it. I could hear it over the hill from the fields, and I guessed it might be this. Ever since my younger brother left, my father's been looking out, hoping every day his precious little son might return. His anguish just filled me with anger. What about me? I've been working day and night for you. Am I not good enough, Father? Why can't you just focus on me and forget that deadbeat? And then I heard what Dad had done. How embarrassing. He went out and he ran towards him. You don't run when you're a senior landowner in this society. Heck, I don't run now. I have servants. But he ran and he hugged him. He kissed him, I hear. For what? Well done, my son, for wasting all my money. And now that younger brother is laughing, dancing. He's in the best robe. I hear he's with our family ring. Now that annoys me. It's my property now. My inheritance, not his. I can smell meat as well. We never have meat. All my money, all my inheritance is now being taken away from me and spent on him. It's my father's greatest day. His son who was lost has now been found. But there's no way I'm going to share in my father's joy tonight. At this moment, I could not care less about my father's honour. In fact, I'm determined to teach him a thing or two about what's right and what's wrong. 
No matter the shame my absence would cause, there's no way I'm going to be humiliated and watch that wretched son of his bask in the limelight. This is Act 2 of our two weeks looking at this famous story. If you missed us last week, you will have seen the story unfolded, hopefully in the video, in the Bible reading. But today we're going to look at what is the main point of the parable, the main reason Jesus told this parable. He's told it to speak to the older brothers. Verse 1 and 2, if you look down your Bibles with me, page 1048 of chapter 15, it shows us why Jesus told these parables, these three parables, which are all making a similar point. He told it because the religious people at that time were complaining that Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with him. And in this story, the sinners are represented by the son who squandered all his wealth and is now literally eating with his father whilst the older brother stews outside. The point Jesus is making and who's who in the story uh, becomes quite clear. Jesus wants to make it clear there are two ways to be lost two ways to be alienated from God. The younger son wanted the father's things, but not the father we saw. The older son is actually the same. One son in this story, and you'll have read it, and you'll think he looks very bad. And the other on paper looks very, very good. I've never disobeyed your orders. I've been working for you, the older brother cries. Both are lost, though. The father has to go out to both sons to invite them to the feast. The older brother is saying here, because I work so hard, you should be doing things my way, Father. Both sons just trying to get control, to control their father by either breaking the rules, by gaining independence, or the opposite, by keeping the rules. Look down with me, verses 29 and 30. As the elder brother explains this to his father, he says, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? It's a truly stunning story. And Jesus told it to stun us, to shock us. Reminds us there's two ways to be lost. One is by being very good, and one is by being very bad. And I expect, like it does me, it shocks you. The older brother is someone who says to God, look, God, look what I've done for you. I've given up this for you. I've, I read my Bible. I pray. And look, I come to church. It's a weekend in August. Weather may not be the best, but still, here I am, God. What more do you want? Bless me, God. He's saying that he can be his own saviour. And the younger brother, well, we saw it last week. He was the same, wasn't he? He demanded his independence. He demanded to live life his own way. And then even when he got to the pigsty, even when he came to his senses, he was still planning on coming back to the Father and earning his own way back. That was until he saw the outrageous love of the Father. Remember we ended last week, the outrageous love of the Father, and he was blown away by it. Instead of trying to go to the Father with this plan, make me one of your hired servants was his master plan. Let me earn my way back in, is what the younger son was saying. Where he instead accepted the love and forgiveness of the Father. It's worth saying, Jesus is not saying here as he opposes, uh, compares the two, that younger brother behavior is right, by the way. Of course not. You can see he ends up in a pigsty. This isn't life advice Jesus calls us to follow. However, in the end, being a younger brother maybe at least means that at the end of the tether, you know you are lost. You know you have a problem. And our problem here is we know what younger brother lostness looks like. Hungover, stinking like a pig, 
at everyone's definition at the bottom of the pit. It's easy to see somebody who's a mess. It's easy to see when you're a mess, when you're broken, isn't it? But what are the signs of elder brother lostness? And why does it matter? You may be sitting here going, well, I'm not like that, so why does it matter? Uh, well, it matters because, frankly, the younger brothers are in the pigsty. Uh, but where are the elder brothers in this story today? They're more than likely here. They're more than likely in <coughs> church. And as we unpack this, most of us need to listen very carefully. This is a passage for, for long-time churchgoers. This is a passage for people who don't struggle as much with running from God as much as they struggle with condemning those who do. This is a passage of people who tend to think of other people who need this passage. <laughs> we sometimes see that when we read a passage, don't we go, well, that's not for me, but I know who that could be appropriate for. The elder brother represents the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are standing by suspiciously, condemningly, while Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. So let's see what Jesus shows us about these people, what he shows us about God's love for them. Because these words get right to the heart of what Christianity is. They get right to the heart of what it's all about, a right relationship with God as our Father, our Father through faith. And if we get that wrong, all goes wrong. And it seems that the elder brother did get it wrong. So we need to recognize what are the symptoms? How do you know if you have elder brother lostness? First symptom, I think there's three, there's probably far more, but three I mainly see here. Firstly, anger. Look down with verse 28. You'll have seen it in the video as well. It comes across quite starkly. The elder brother is furious. He's absolutely furious because he hears his younger brother is back and he refuses to go into the house. This would have been utterly shameful. The father is hosting a banquet and the younger son, the older son, sorry, does not go in. That is outrageous behavior in that culture. It's not the done thing. It was the older son's job to go in and serve the village elders, to serve them the food, to honour his father, but he refuses. He's livid at the grace and forgiveness of father has extended to his younger son. And the first sign of elder brother lostness is that when life doesn't go how we want it to go, and life is definitely not going how this elder brother wanted it to go, you're not just sad, but you're deeply angry and deeply bitter. Elder brothers believe that if they live a good life, they deserve to have a good life. See how angry the elder brother is? He says, look at how much I've been serving you. Look at all I've been doing. and I don't get the calf. I don't get the feast. You see, the problem the elder brother has with handling suffering comes from the fact that elder brothers do what they do. They do what they think is right in order to get something. It's results orientated entirely. An elder brother tries to live a good life, not for delight in the good deeds themselves, but in order to control the environment. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, um, an author and a missionary, tells in a, an apocryphal story. This is one which is not in the Bible. Let me make that clear. But she tells us a story about Jesus, which maybe helps us understand this a little bit. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. He didn't give any explanation. So the disciples looked around for a stone to carry, and Peter, being the practical sort, found the smallest stone he could find. After all, Jesus didn't give any regulations for weight or size, did he? Jesus then said, follow me. He led them on a journey, and about noon, Jesus got them all to sit down. Uh, and he waved his hands, and all the stones turned to bread. He said, now it's time for lunch. In a few seconds, Peter's lunch was over. When lunch was done, Jesus told him to stand up, and he said again, 
I'd like you to carry a stone for me. This time Peter said, <laughs> I get it now. So he looked around, hunted in the gravel until he saw a small boulder, hoisted it on his back. He lugged it for the journey as they went on. It was painful, it made him stagger. I can't wait for my supper. Jesus then said, follow me. Peter was barely able to keep up with the rest of the disciples. And around supper time, Jesus led them to a side of a river. He said, right now, everyone throw your stones in the water. Peter looked confused. He did. And then Jesus said, now follow me. And he began to walk. Peter and the others looked at him utterly dumbfounded. Jesus sighed, said to them, don't you remember what I asked you to do, Peter? Who are you carrying the stone for? Like Peter, the elder brothers expect their goodness to pay off. And it doesn't. And there's confusion and there's anger. And it also leads to angry comparison. If you look down what he says about the younger brother again, he says, Father, why does he get the fattened calf? The fattened calf would have been such a rare treat. Hog roasts weren't one in a penny. We weren't having them all the time here. Meat was a really rare treat. It leads to comparison. Why do they get the new house or car? Why does he get a promotion at work? Why do they get that thing I want? Don't I deserve it, Lord? First symptom, anger. Secondly, duty. Elder brothers act out of duty. He sees the father not as a father, but as a master. See what the elder brother says. Look down his speech again. All these years I've been slaving for you. It's a bit ironic, isn't it? The younger brother came home willing to say, make me a slave, and instead was made a son. And the elder brother was always a son, but is actually a slave. Elder brothers are diligent in following the law, but it's a slaveless, joyless existence. You see, a slave works out of fear, and ultimately elder brothers live good lives out of fear, not out of joy and love. He was, in reality, a partner in his father's work. He just didn't see it. He was a beloved son. But instead, he saw himself like a slave. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. I don't know how big. Let's go that big. Took it to his king. And he said, my lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown. He's a fun man. And ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love. The king was touched. He discerned the man's heart, and so he turned uh, to go. As he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you're clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift. You can garden it all. The gardener was amazed. He went home rejoicing. Now a nobleman at the king's court overheard this, and he said, Well, if that's what you get for a carrot, what about if I give the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading with him a handsome black stallion, a horse. He bowed low and he said, my lord, I breed horses. This is the greatest horse I've ever bred or I ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and my respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you. Took the horse and dismissed him. The nobleman was confused. So the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. 
Elder brothers may do good to others, but not out of the light of the good itself, or for the love of God or the love of his people. They aren't really feeding the hungry or clothing the poor, they're feeding and clothing themselves. We can sometimes see this difference, this duty in prayer maybe. When we look at how we pray, why we pray, is prayer just a means to an end? A way to try and get what we want from God, to make sure he hears what I need and what I want? Or do I pray because of how awesome a delight it is to speak with the God of the universe, to speak as a child speaks with his father? <coughs> the relationship we have with a business associate and your deep friend or lover is entirely different. Does your prayer life have much praise and adoration of God just because of who he is? Not because of what you think you might get out of it at the end of it? You see, elder brothers, it seems, for all their religiousness, often don't have much of a private prayer life at all, unless things are not going well in their lives. Then they devote themselves to it a great deal until things go right again. Because it shows that their main goal in prayer is to control, as opposed to having a deep relationship with God who loves them. Anger, duty. Finally, insecurity. And these are intrinsically linked. See how the older brother looks down on the younger one who's been forgiven. He can't even call him his brother. Instead, he says, this son of yours. You see, if we base our worth on our good deeds, if that is how we define what is good in the world, then anyone who doesn't match up to our own standards, we're going to look down on. If you think hard work is all that matters, then you'll look down on anyone who doesn't seem to work as hard as you and call them lazy. See, the older brother doesn't really understand that you can only be saved by grace. He's also radically insecure because of the lack of assurance of the father's love. The older son says, you never threw me a party. As long as you're trying to earn your salvation by your goodness, you'll never be sure if you've been good enough. I've seen this with a number uh, of Muslims I've spoken to. I remember speaking with the head of the Islamic Society at my university he couldn't understand my confidence that if I walked out of a student union, was hit by a bus, that I'd be welcomed into heaven as a son. But how will you know if you've been good enough? He asked. I remember him saying that again and again. He had no sense of assurance because it was all based on what he did. Another outworking of this is that insecurity often means that criticism from others doesn't just hurt your feelings, but it devastates you. It really hurts it's because your view of God's love is so abstract that you need the approval of others to bolster your sense of value, to feel good enough. Anger, duty, insecurity. I think it's important we understand, it's important I understand these symptoms because if you don't know you're sick, what happens? You die. <coughs> now it's really important to say here, we're not here to judge. None of us have the right to look at someone here and say, they seem to be an older brother. They, they come to the prayer meetings. Uh, they're at church every week. Uh, they're on the rotors. They make lovely refreshments. They must be an elder brother. No. <laughs> what we do is we trust that Jesus' parable will speak and do its work in our hearts. That's what we do every week. When we preach, when I preach, we're trying to teach God's word, teaching the main point of the passage and letting God's work do the convicting, God's work do the challenging, the speaking. It's all we try and do at Town Church. It's, it's simple in that sense to annoy the judge. But maybe as you've heard those symptoms, maybe you've gone, I can see some of that in me. I know I can when I look at it. But, but maybe you're going, I'm, I'm definitely not always or purely like that. Well, it's really important to notice where we're in danger of becoming elder brother-ish. 
elder brother ish when when i went through these symptoms i wonder if you recognized any of them in you one of the main reasons people turn away from religion is that it's full of elder brother types and jesus is saying as he looks at the two ways of being lost and we looked at it last week he's saying christianity is not another religion he's speaking to the religious leaders remember and he's saying religiosity is a major problem with the world and it's striking i wonder how many people you've had a conversation with which has gone like this you've said you're a christian and they go oh great good for you i'm not religious well neither was jesus and our prayer for us at town church is that we won't be either so you may be feeling well what on earth do i do about it if i can see some elder brotherliness in me what do we do well let's look at the father let's look at how the father responds look at the love of the father and i want us to ask this question how are we going to relate to god as we're going to relate to god as a slave or as a son or as a daughter let's just look at how the father relates to his son here in the story and remember who jesus is speaking to he's speaking to the pharisees and religious leaders in that room with him those who are looking down on the pimps and the prostitutes the poor and the sinners And this is what Jesus is saying this afternoon to those who might have been going to church for years and have grown hard-hearted and instead of compassion for the lost, they feel holier than thou. So here are five simple things I think we see about the Father. In verses 28, firstly, we firstly see the Father came out to meet him. The elder brother became angry, verse 28, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. In this parable, we see again that we all need God's initiating love. Look at the father in the story. What utter shame and suffering he put up with to welcome his younger son home. Remember the younger son looking out on the horizon the whole time, waiting for him to come back. And then when his son returned, instead of letting the villagers beating up like they would have done, he runs to him, he shames himself for him. And we see again the same here. As he's sitting down for the banquet, he doesn't send a servant. He doesn't yell from a distance. He himself went. This is definitely not what the patriarch would do at his own feast. But here the father does. It would have been shocking to the original hearers. And it is for us. God himself came into the world to save elder brother hypocrites as well as younger brother rebels. He came out to meet us. Firstly, the father came out to meet him. Secondly, we see the father pleaded with him. And it's a really interesting word here. The father doesn't command his son to come in. He doesn't challenge him. He doesn't summon him. He doesn't accuse him. He pleads with him. Jesus very deliberately uses this word. It means to try to reconcile with, to entreat. The father is calling the elder son to come alongside him, to see the world the way he does. You see, the father really could have treated him like a slave. He could have very rightly commanded him to come in, commanded his son to come in, but he doesn't. He pleads with him. He's not trying to get him to do the right thing. He's trying to get his son to see their relationship in the right way. Not as a slave, but as a son. Thirdly, the father calls him my child. It's great having the children, isn't it? It's mayhem, but it's great. Notice what happens maybe when a child goes running, goes running behind the screen. There's there's obviously some magical world behind there we don't know about. It's tender. As they pick up their child and they go, Hugo, it's okay, come on, come come back. It's a wonderfully tender word here. 
He goes, not my servant, not my slave, my child. He's reminding the son of who he is. The elder son thinks of himself as a servant. The father doesn't, and he never has. He's gently correcting his thinking. And this is the relationship we must have if we're ever to join the banquet. Child, not slave, not servant. Fourthly, the father says, you are always with me. We see that in verse 31. You're always with me. And this is deep and this is important. The father is reminding the son he's always with him. This is the deepest hole in the elder brother's heart. He lived in the same house as his father, shared the same food, but had no relationship with him. See how the son says, you never even gave me a young goat to share with my friends. It's bizarre. The son was the heir to the estate. He could have any goat he wanted. And he is a father who is hugely kind and generous. But the key thing is, the heart of the elder son here is not with his father, but with his friends and his father's possessions. He cares more about that. Do we treasure God? Is he our love or is it his gift? You're always with me. And gift links in with the fifth thing we see. The father says, all I have is yours. And this is wonderful. This is the offer of the father. This is the offer of God. He's saying this to the Pharisees, remember, the religious leaders. He's speaking to them. He's speaking to us. And he's going, you can have it. You can have it all. You can have a relationship as a son and not as a slave. It's mind-blowing. He's saying, just come in from the courtyard. Come into the banquet. Come in as my son. And the challenge here is that we need to not turn to religion, but to a relationship with the outrageously loving Father. It's his love which allows us to be free. Are you free? How do we deal with elder brother symptoms? Well, let's preach these truths to ourselves. This is our God. He's a father, not a master. He's the father who shames himself. Now, as we come to the end of Luke 15, the whole of the three parables, you may have been here for one, you may have been here for all three. It's, let's remember he's been telling three stories, all very similar, aren't they? I'm not going to do call and response like last time because it didn't go well. Um, three things we saw which are very similar. Something was lost, something was found, and then rejoicing. And we've learned more about who God is, haven't we, and who we are. We're, we've seen we're lost. We're like sheep. We're like coins. We're like rebellious sons and we're like moral sons. We're lost and in need of being found. These parables have reminded us. We've seen that God is like the good shepherd who searches, like the woman who hunts up and down, like the father who looks out onto the horizon day after day for his son, like the father who goes out to the courtyard to meet his son. Not a distant God, but one who is intimately involved and intimately loves us. And we've seen the same thing. Celebration is the only right response when somebody lost is found. And boy, does God celebrate when that which is lost is found. Of all the characters, though, I wonder if you notice the one unfinished element. There's a story which doesn't quite end. Sheep, sheep lost, sheep found, celebration. Coin, coin lost, coin found, celebration. Son, one son lost, one son found, celebration. Other son lost. It ends with the elder son not in the party, not restored, but in the courtyard. His father's pleaded for him to come in. He's pleaded with him to be a son, not a slave. He's pleaded with him to love him as a father. And the omission has got to be deliberate, doesn't it? 
Remember, this is a story. It's not real life. It's a story. <laughs> Jesus is telling it deliberately. And he was speaking to the Pharisees and he's saying, there is still a chance to be reconciled to the Father. He's saying to the religious ones, he's saying, you can harden your hearts and reject his love, or you can come and be my children. And Jesus is saying to them, this is why I sit and eat with sinners. This is why I do it, because I love them. What are you now going to do with me, he's asking. He's entreating the Pharisees and he's entreating all of us. Sinners like the younger son and sinners of the religious elder brother kind. He's saying, come in from the pigsty of misery. It stinks. Come in from the courtyard of hard-earned merit. He's saying both are deadly. But he's saying inside is the banquet. Inside is the feast of grace, a feast of forgiveness and relationship with an amazing, all-satisfying father. And so like the Pharisees, he's asking us today, what are you going to do with me? Are you going to come in and celebrate as a son, not as a slave? Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, thank you so much that, firstly, we can call you Father. Thank you for the picture we've seen of who our God is. Lord, of your outrageous love for the lost. Lord, of your love for us, of each of us who have been lost, and if we put our trust in you, have accepted being found by the Saviour of the universe. Lord, we praise you that you're our Father, you're not our Master, you're not distant, but you're here with us now. Lord, help us to love you as your children, um, not as a slave to a master, Lord. So we praise you for reminders of who you are. We're sorry for the times when we act so much like these brothers. We praise you for your grace, that you welcome us and look out to us daily with open arms. So we praise you and we thank you. In your name, amen.